Welcome back to another episode of Come Over for Dinner. I'm so excited you're joining me today. Today, I have a very special guest. She is literally across country from me. She lives in New Hampshire. Her name is Debbie, and she is from Wonderful Life Farm. She blogs on wonderfullifefarm.com. She lives in rural New Hampshire with her husband and her sometimes well-behaved golden retriever, Carson. Welcome, Debbie. Thank you. Thank you. Nice introduction. I'm so pleased to be here today. Well, I'm so glad you could join us. Her website tells a little bit of her love for creating joyful moments and happy memories. On her website, Debbie says, we love welcoming family and friends from coast to coast to our home for meals, backyard gatherings, parties, holidays, and long stays. I take joy in everyday moments, long walks, candlelit evenings, family stories, and long lingering dinner conversations. This sounds magical and something we probably all aspire to. Tell us a little bit about your take on hospitality and how you do it in your life. Oh, boy, <laughs> that's a great question. I think it hospitality is something that my husband and I always wanted to do from the time we got married, even in our very first apartment. We always had guests over for dinner, and then we lit, We bought a small condo. We lived in Southern California at the time, and we lived in that condo far longer than we ever intended. So we had all five of us in 900 square feet for a while. <laughs> Such is life sometimes. <laughs> yes. and But there's a, a line from O. Henry's Gift of the Magi that says, a house is full of love, have elastic walls. And so I I sort of embraced that when we lived in our very small quarters, all five of us. And so we always had people over for dinner. We always had a Christmas party. We never let how small or big our house was impact showing hospitality to others. So and then oh, it's just wonderful. kind of grown from there. And we've we we host a lot of parties and have people over. We have People stay for, you know, a week or longer, which is really fun. And yeah, it's just been kind of a way of life mm-hmm. for our 35 years of marriage. Well, coming up, I've heard you have harvest parties as well. Or have you already done your harvest parties? You know, we don't do it every year because the harvest party is is a lot of work. <laughs> but it's it one of your bigger of events. Yes, it is. It's a lot of fun, but it's a lot of work. And so we tend to have about every two or three years. And we set up long tables in the backyard, wooden chairs all down the tables. We do pumpkin carving for the kids. And we play various games. They bought for apples. We did, you know, eating the donuts off the string which I thought was just going to be a kid's activity the first year. <laughs> but the adults the kids, jumped in. <laughs> the kids finished and the adults were like, wait, don't we get to go? So now they <laughs> I always love a good donut. <laughs> so much. <laughs> we do it for the adults too. And we cook um, chili or um, soup over the open fire in a big cast iron cauldron. One time we did a pork tenderloin on a spit over the fire too. And that was ambitious, but fun. And then, you know, we end with s'mores around the fire pit and it's just, it's all candlelit and very beautiful with all the autumn foliage and just something that we, and hopefully our friends really look forward to. Mm -hmm. Yes. It sounds similar to a fall festival 
I also read that you do a family dinner every Sunday. How large is your family and how many do you host? Or do you still do that? We we do. We have eight. There are eight of us every Sunday for dinner. And so everyone was just here last Sunday. And it's just a sweet time that we get together. And this is very casual. We kind of, I make most of the meal, but my mom and my sister-in-law bring some. And we usually follow it up with a movie night or something at the end. It's just a nice way to round out the week or start the week, I guess. Mm -hmm. So what inspired you to start your blog at wonderfullife.com? I mean, your pictures are just beautiful and you have some really interesting ideas of different ways to invite people over to your home. I saw in there in the summertime, you posted something about hosting an ice cream social. And at other times, you've talked about seasonal events, like you mentioned your Christmas party or a harvest party. Oh, the other thing on her blog, on wonderfullife.com, she has a shop with beautiful things to use when you're hosting. There's a list on there that talks about the essentials for a butler's pantry, you know, just how to collect items and not always brand new. You can go to resale shops or antique shops or garage sales and find things, find pieces that will help you when having people over hosting larger groups. There's recipes on the blog, travel ideas, and beautiful photography. So tell me a little bit about what started that. What started that? I think my love for hospitality and entertaining started when I was about maybe six or seven years old. And we knew a family that had a big Christmas party every year. One And I le- I looked forward to this. I mean, I'm sure I went to it even when I was younger than that. But I looked forward to this so much every year. And while the other kids were like running around and playing, I did a little of that. But I would like to sit in the formal dining room. This, this family like pulled out all the stops. This was a big Christmas party. You know, men wore suits, women wore long dresses. I mean, it was it was a to-do. And I would like to sit on this little chair in the corner of the formal dining room. There was a little table next to it, the small silver platter with fudge, which was very enticing. And I would just sit there and I would watch the people as they'd come in and pick up a plate and go around the buffet table. And I liked to watch the doors swing open in and out of the kitchen so I could see the food going in and out. And the chandelier was sparkling and music and people were talking. And it was just mesmerizing to me as a small child. And I I was intrigued by how it how it all came together, you know, behind the scenes. So I was always trying to peek into the kitchen. And I just liked watching, just people watching. You know, it was mm-hmm. fascinating to me. And the fudge was was a draw too. And um, <laughs> of course it was. <laughs> yes. And so I um I just grew up with that party and then they moved away and um, we didn't go to that party anymore. And I missed it so much. And so then when when our oldest, because we, we have three grandkids and six grandkids, but when our oldest was maybe almost two, I said, we should have a Christmas party. And so so we started it and we've had it almost every year since, except for 2020, COVID. And the year I was enormously pregnant with our third child. <laughs> but other than that, I think we've had it every year. So for about, I think this might be 33 years this year. So how that was kind of where start... my love of it all began, I think. Yes. How do you start, pl- or how far in advance do you start planning the Christmas party? 
as soon as it's over, (laughs) you start planning for the next year. (laughs) Like the Rose Parade. Yes. Yeah, I do. You know, I usually make some notes about what I need to change next time, what went wrong, what serving piece we need, something like that immediately, like the next day when it's fresh in my mind. And I start thinking about invitations about now. And I like to have those out by like second week of November, probably. But I've done it so long that I don't have to think about menu too much (laughs) because I kind of know what people want. And so that sort of falls together in the last couple of weeks. And then it's, it's kind of like all hands on deck for the whole week, cooking Mm -hmm. and prepping and cleaning and all the last minute decorating and everything. So we probably have about 50 to 60 people that come. But when we lived in California, I know there was one year we maxed out at 120. (laughs) It was, it was crazy. But in California, you can have all the doors and the windows open Mm -hmm. and the kids are flowing inside and out. And it's just, you know, it's mayhem, but your household's more because you're using the overflow from outside. So your Christmas menu, do you repeat the same thing every year, pretty much so that it's a tradition. People really look forward to the same types of foods or do you change it, try to change it up every year? A little of both. People do get really attached to certain foods. And some people have told me, I come every year for your ham. <laughs> so <laughs> You're you going cannot to change it. Again, right? <laughs> I dream of that ham all year long. And it <laughs> sounds really like, a- like the simplest thing. And so if I don't have ham, people will be very disappointed. So have to do ham. And I do, but like, and I do like a cheese board, crackers, something fresh, cookies, maybe a cake. Cookies that kind of change up all the time. So except gingerbread men, I always have gingerbread men. Mm-hmm. So. Those are classic. Yeah. Do you do all of the prep and work yourself in the kitchen? You said the week ahead is kind of all hands on deck. So for a week, you're making all the food, prepping all the food, that making all the cookies, or do you bring in help? No. when when all our kids lived at home. Definitely people helped. But now it's just me and my husband. And so I had to be a little bit more cunning about what I do and how far I get started. So I will do the cookies that will freeze well at the beginning of the week, maybe the first two or three days, put them in the freezer, like gingerbread men can go in the freezer, brownies can go in the freezer, and things like that will happen the first three days, more intensive moisture cookies will happen the, probably like two days out. The day before, I'll do any sort of decorating on cookies that need to happen, as well as cleaning and tidying the entire house. Like we have, we had an expression that my kids grew up with. There's like the house is clean or the house is party ready. And party ready meant like spotless, you know, spotless, everything in its proper spot. It looks, it's looking great. So anyway, so the house is cleaned the day before, tidied, and gets party party ready at the last last few hours before. So and then I start pulling out all the things, you know, and putting them out. Well, that's a good system because it allows you to know you're going to be ready and it's there's not too many tasks right there on the very last day. Yes. It's yeah. it's good when you're hosting a big event like that and lots of people are coming over and and you're the one doing all the work. It's very good to be organized. 
You kind of have to. Yeah. Kind of have to. Yes. It's just <laughs> mandatory. You either have to or you just have to go with the flow and right. make just, the best of it. Exactly. Yeah. Just put a smile on, even though you know everything's not party ready. <laughs> right. So what is the favorite menu you might serve when you have guests coming over just on a regular night or maybe one of your Sunday dinners when you're having family over? What is one of your favorite menus that you might serve? I think one of my favorite main dishes to serve is a pork tenderloin. There's a recipe on my blog for a cinnamon dusted pork tenderloin with roasted fruit. And it is delicious. It is so simple. You can almost not even call it a recipe. It's just as easy as can be. And but yeah, so I, I do do that. It's so simple. We went out to California once to help friends whose business had burned. And we um, said we would make them dinner. And, you know, I didn't have a recipe book or my anything with me. And but I knew how to make this because it's just as easy as can be. I like Uh, those kind of recipes. (laughs) Those are the best ones. Yes, yes. And I have found like pork tenderloin, a center cut pork tenderloin cooks fairly quickly. So your oven's not on forever. I mean, it's almost impossible to mess it up. So I do the cinnamon dusted one. I also will slit the whole pork tenderloin with little slits and insert cloves of garlic. Rub it with some olive oil, sprinkle it with salt, pepper, herbs, and then roast it like that. And that's, you know, just another way to make it. And super simple and frees you up to do a lot of other things if you want to. What do you serve with it? Do you do potatoes or what's your, what are your side dishes? Well, with the the one on the blog, the cinnamon dusted pork tenderloin with the roasted fruit, the roasted fruit is one of your side dishes. So I might serve green beans and maybe some sort of bread with that. Last Sunday, we did a pork tenderloin, but it was a, don't remember where I got the recipe. It's a Cajun bacon wrapped pork tenderloin with an apricot glaze. That sounds good. It is very good. And so I I served that with rice and I served it with butternut and apple puree, which again is- You can change it up based on the seasonal ingredients. Yes. Yeah. I like to do the one with the roasted fruit sometime in September when pears, apples, plums, and blackberries all happen to be at the market at the same time. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And you can get everything fresh. So there's just that sweet kind of- end of summer, beginning of autumn flavors there. Do you have any shortcuts or time savers with this menu? Can you, you said you really just can put it in the oven in it and kind of just walk away from it, but can you make it ahead of time? I have. I just took the one I made Sunday to friends. So they, I mean, you can just heat it up. It doesn't heat, doesn't take long to reheat in the microwave, but it will toughen up a little bit if you heat it too long. So I don't think that's, Ideal. I think I tend to do time-saving things on the front end when I'm menu planning. You know, if if I have a more intensive main dish, then I want my side dishes to be simpler. If we're having friends over and they ask what they can bring, I might suggest an appetizer. So that frees me up to be doing dinner while other while they're eating something. Mm-hmm. They're busy nibbling on something and chatting and you can finish your last minute prep. Right. What is your best prep tip for cooking, shopping, cleaning? How do you prepare for guests coming into your home? 
I think the menu planning is key. I think it's good to know how much time you have, how much time you can devote to this and to be kind to yourself in that way. You know, if you have lots of little kids running around, then maybe it's not the time to have too ambitious of a menu to to keep it simpler with a soup, a salad, some bread and a dessert, something like that. If you can do your dessert the day before, have something fresh like a salad coming out of the refrigerator and then just have to fuss with a main dish and a side, perhaps. It does really free you up to spend more time with your guests. Mm-hmm. I really liked one of your blog posts on a well-stocked pantry. There's a list, and the list is div- divided into dry goods, canned and bottled goods, baking items, and produce. And the list is very thorough and helpful. And in that blog post, you talk a little bit about how a well-stocked pantry, just having all of your essentials on hand, makes your meal planning and your grocery list easier. And I have found that throughout the years to be so true. If you know you have basics in the pantry, you can create a lot of times it's just a simple meal. Or if you're doing a quick run to the grocery store, it's just a few last minute items as opposed to every single thing in the recipe. Your tips on having a well-stocked pantry is a good one. Thank you. Thank you. There's later this week, Thursday, I think there's going to be a new one coming out on a stocking a pantry for entertaining. So it's a little bit different than just normal stocking, you know, the things that you can have on hand that you can pull out and entertain at the spur of the moment. I'll look forward to reading that. The other one that I really liked was the list you have for age-appropriate chores for kids. And especially moms who still have kids at home, it's so important to include kids. It does take, I think your words in the the post, patient training, (laughs) 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 but it pays off (laughs) instead of moms taking all of the chores and just doing them. It is so good to teach kids the responsibility and the skills that they need. And as you see them growing and obtaining those skills, they can be such valuable help. They can do it as well as you, including cooking. And in fact, as they grow up, they may do it better than you. (laughs) This is true. This is true. And it is rewarding. All of our kids are adults. They're all married now. It's rewarding to see them each, you know, having the skills necessary to care for their own homes. Well, your list divides it up by age. I like the list because it offers really good ideas to think through for each age and think through, okay, I I bet I could add this one in to, you know, my five-year-old's routine. And again, it takes time to teach them. I think I've mentioned this before, but my boys for a little while when they were younger, they tried to pull one over on me. And then I realized what was happening. You know, they were sent to the bathroom. They had bathroom chores. They all had to rotate because they needed to all know how to clean a bathroom. And I remember having to start asking the question when they had to clean the toilet, did you clean the inside of the toilet? You know, they would just do a quick little wipe. And one of them was like, you've never told me that before. You know, like what (laughs) in the world? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So then 
<laughs> we talk about how to clean the inside, use the toilet bowl cleaner and all that. And and one of them was just very incompetent at it and didn't know what to do. And I realized <laughs> that as I'm talking about it, I'm doing it, you know, while he's kind of standing off to the side. I'm like, oh, I see what's going on. <laughs> he was very happy for mom to come in and do it. Not that, and I, I realized I'm not show, telling him and watching him do it and letting him learn. I'm doing the chore for him. <laughs> it's like, it's okay. A, it's a learning experience for moms too. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Like, come over here, buddy. <laughs> You're yeah. going to do it and I'm going to watch you. <laughs> and then I realized, okay, I'm going to have to have an inspection. Like, let them do it. Watch them do it. And you can't get off of this chore until I know you have it down. <laughs> yes. Exactly. I know you know how to clean a toilet correctly. Yeah. You're just going to keep doing this every week. <laughs> yes, we did, you know, daily, weekly chores and then spring cleaning too. And we would break that down and divide it amongst everyone when they got older, you know, like <clears throat> probably 10 and up or 12 and up. And so that, that was, that was good, valuable because that's the more in-depth cleaning. That's good for them to know too. Exactly. Well, your post says it does teach them responsibility and lifelong skills that will serve them well. It grounds them in the thought that everyone who lives in the home has the duty to take care of it. It teaches them the value of a clean and tidy home and instills the memories of a home that is cared for and beautiful. And I think when you have that environment, it's so much easier to enjoy that sort of home. Things aren't just chaos and dirty and laundry is not clean when you need it and you can't find a book or... When, when a home is chaos, it is not enjoyable. Or when it's dirty, it's just not enjoyable. And you feel much less likely, you feel the inability to invite people into that. You aren't normally going to say, oh, yeah, go ahead and come on over. You immediately think, oh, my home's not ready. Right. And you want your home to be a, a restful place for for the family and for, for friends, too. And mm-hmm. I think when it, there's order, it, it is more restful. Mm-hmm. So. For sure. Your post continues, when asked the question about what children are capable of, I frequently reply, read Little House in the Big Woods and Little House on the Prairie if you want to know what kids can really do. (laughs) I also appreciated that because I teach second grade and those are the books we read. We read the Little House series, I think four of them, and they may continue them in the third grade curriculum. Farmer Boys the same way. You know, if you want to, I love those books so much. The girls are so helpful to their mom and farmer boy. He is expected as a young lad to be out there doing chores with the men (laughs) and he's doing it. So, yes, yes, absolutely. Kids are able to rise to heights that we do not give them credit for. Yes. And a lot of times they're so joyful and proud to be able to do it once they learn how to accomplish it well. It's true. It's true. Cooking, too. I mean, they should be taught to cook, guys mm-hmm. and girls. How many kids do you have? I know we've mentioned they're grown. Three. Yes. Three and grandchildren. Three. And then six grandchildren from a month to 12 years. So much fun. Yes. Very did, fun. You, did you teach your kids how to cook before they left the home? Did you have a plan oh, for that? Absolutely. Yeah. We homeschool our kids all through kindergarten through 12. And so we trying to think I'm not sure that I actually made our son do cooking per se as part of his high school but he does know how to cook and he definitely did a lot of grilling 
And and he he does great in the kitchen now. And our daughters, if you want, this is this is my big tip on teaching teaching kids to cook. Just sit down with a sheet of paper and go, okay, there are categories, there are appetizers, there are main dishes, there are side dishes, there are breads, there are salads, there are soups, there are desserts. So like standard cookbook categories. So under the category of appetizers, what appetizers should everybody know how to make? Mm -hmm. And that was how I approached teaching them to cook. So everyone should know how to make deviled eggs and guacamole and I don't know, a cheese dip and just a vegetable dip and Mm -hmm. certain things like that. And so, you know, eight, eight things, have them do two a week and you've got appetizers covered. And I think I had enough categories. So we, we we did one category a month for the school year. Oh, that's a great idea. It was just simple. And we just, I just incorporated it into our weekly menus and they learned just the basics that Mm -hmm. everyone should really know how to make. And that will vary by family too. And so you can personalize it as much as you want. And it's just a simple, painless way to teach your kids to cook. Did you have recipes that they read, favorite recipes, or did you just have all the ingredients and tell them what to do? Probably a little bit bit of both. Yeah, a little bit of both. And then sometimes they're inspired and they find a recipe that they want to. Absolutely. All of our kids cook very well. Yes. Well, I think once you have the basics down, you can use that as a springboard to do even bigger things or not bigger things, but just more complex things. Once you know the basics of cooking, the basics of how to read a recipe, kind of like you were saying with your son, all of a sudden you're like, wait, he really can cook. Oh, yeah. (laughs) And he does grill. He does a great job. So just learning some very basic things, you can really take off. And such a fabulous idea to incorporate it as part of your daily meals that you're eating anyway and as part of a school curriculum then it makes it not seem so daunting to say, I'm going to teach my child how to cook. That does sound a little oh, overwhelming. Yes, that would that would just make me crazy if it had to be something formal. But when you can just incorporate it into your normal family life, mm-hmm. it's so much easier. When you had them cook, did you have them also make a shopping list, plan the menu, or was it just to start with, we're just simply going to make this appetizer today? Probably it was a little of the, we're just going to do this at first. And then when our first daughter was 18, we actually opened up a separate checking account that she had the debit card to. It was just for food. Every week, the food budget was put into that account. And she was responsible for a week worth of groceries. She had to plan the menus. She had to make the list. She had to stick to the budget because there wasn't more money in there than just what we gave her. So she had to figure it out. So that was really valuable for her. Mm-hmm. Our second daughter, so the the daughters are first and second born. The son is the youngest. Second daughter had her own um, baking business at the farmer's market by the time she was 16. And so she was already putting together grocery lists and doing that. So I, we never did that with her because she was already managing Mm -hmm. her own budget for that. And yeah. And then our son joined the Coast Guard at 19. So he didn't, didn't get that experience from us. Right. Oh, that sounds like a wonderful idea as well. And it's good to look at your kids individually and say, okay, well, 
This one has the skills. This one needs needs me to create a way for her to have the skills and just ensure that both are getting what they need. And I, oh my word, I would have loved to have been at her farmer's market and tried what she was making. <laughs> oh, she's good. You know, precaution and baguettes and croissants oh. and yeah, everything. Well, that's a missed she did opportunity. Not all of that from me though. <laughs> She took off. <laughs> she did, yes. Speaking yeah. of taking off, once you know the basics, being able to cook for a whole farmer's market table, that's pretty incredible. Yes, at 16. Yes, that's pretty good. <laughs> so what is your best advice for showing warm hospitality to those coming into your home? How do you make your home feel welcoming? Mm. I always like to greet people at the door. You know, people should be greeted warmly and sent off warmly. And I will say at our Christmas party, it's sometimes just chaos and I'm not, people let themselves in. And that makes me happy too, that they feel comfortable to do that. Mm -hmm. And we always have fresh flowers or some sort of centerpiece on the table. I love candles, not scented candles to compete with the food, but I like candlelight on the table. I think it it's beautiful when there's taller candles that you're kind of looking through and lower candles that just kind of keep everything sort of magical and beautiful. And I like, I think people also feel welcome when they have something to do. And so if a guest asks what they can bring, I will usually say an appetizer for reasons we talked about earlier. It frees mm-hmm. me up to, to dinner. So if they can come in and get busy setting up their appetizer, they feel a little bit more at home. If, if I haven't done that, like with our harvest party, I will have appetizers out so people can help themselves. I have done like make your own cocktails before with the essentials put out and a little recipe right there so they can mix their own cocktail. That was very popular. They like I that. can imagine because that's a full activity and people are talking about the different ones they made and oh, maybe adding their own twist. Variations. Yes. Wine available for people. Yeah, all of those things I think are are good and important. Mm-hmm. So what is your must-have kitchen item? I think with all of your lists we've talked about, you have a lot of must-have kitchen items <laughs> for your butler's pantry and your, your well-stocked pantry, but yes, pick, pick some favorite things. <laughs> what are your absolute, I love this, everyone needs this? I probably have a twofold answer to that. For a real practical, you can go and buy it kind of answer. I think that Williams Sonoma's measuring cups, metal measuring cups and spoons just cannot be beat. They will last you your entire life. I, you know, I've probably had mine uh, 25 years and they look as good today as they did when I bought them. They're like buying a KitchenAid or something. They are really heavy duty. And they come in standard sizes. So like quarter cup, half cup, three quarter, and one. And they come in odd sizes. So you can get a one. The odd size includes one third, two thirds, one and a half cups, and two cups. That's valuable. Yes. I need those. (laughs) And the, the spoons are, the measuring spoons are the same way. So there's an eighth teaspoon. If you get like both sets. There's an eighth teaspoon, a quarter, a half, one, (laughs) let me see, two teaspoons, one and a half, one tablespoon, one and a half tablespoons, and two tablespoons, I think is the whole set. That would be a fabulous gift for a wedding shower. 
Oh, absolutely. Because even if they've registered for one, it's probably not as nice as this one, but also you can handle more than one set in a kitchen. A lot of times if you're cooking a lot, you really want more than one set, but this one does sound like a lifetime warranty type Uh, set. Yes. Yes. I just use them all the time and I'm so glad I have all the pieces. So are they stainless steel or copper? They're stainless Stainless. steel, William Sonoma brand. Yes, I believe so. Okay, so I'll have to look it I up. I know they've put a link redesigned in. them since mine. So mine were definitely made by William Sonoma. They say that on it, but I I know they still have the standard and odd sizes. I think they're what they're what they're called. So okay, so that's the real practical. You can go buy this tip. The other one, so Stonewall Kitchen, the company that does jams and all sorts of things is based in York, Maine, and which is like an hour and 15 minutes from us, maybe. And pre-COVID, they had a cooking school that they brought in chefs and cookbook authors from all over the country and probably the world to teach there. And you could sign up for a class and you'd sit there and they would cook a whole meal and they would serve you each piece as they finished it. And it was just a lovely, lovely experience. And I learned a lot by going to a few of their classes. But one of the things I really enjoyed was just kind of watching for the tips they weren't necessarily sharing. (laughs) Maybe they didn't even realize you didn't know them because to them they were so commonplace. Right. To see how they function efficiently in the kitchen. And what I discovered by watching them is that they they have multiples of the things they use the most. So that would be my other big tip. <laughs> so, and that's going to be individual choice of mm-hmm. what items you usually use the most. So for instance, I have lots of wooden spoons. I have about eight different whisks because I do not like having to stop and clean, hand clean a whisk to go on to the next thing that has to be whisked. (laughs) (laughs) I agree. Cheese graters probably fall into that same category too. So I have that. I have two one cup liquid measures, two two cup liquid measures, and then I have a big batter bowl that's eight or 10 cups, I think. And I have two of those small little things. They almost look like a jigger that Mm -hmm. measures in ounces. And so just not having to stop and wash something and drying it to do the next step of a recipe, but just being able to reach over and grab what you need again, helps so much with your prep work, with your cooking, with your baking, Mm -hmm. just really speeds things up. I have been very slowed down by not having a second KitchenAid bowl when making a cake that requires you to whip egg whites. Which if I had had the forethought, potentially I would have mixed the egg whites first and set them over to the side if they would have even lasted that long because you don't want them to fall. But I have made an entire cake and then it says, you know, whip your egg whites. And I currently do not have a hand beater, which I need to buy. I used to have it years ago. And then when I got the KitchenAid, I didn't use it. I'm sure it was either broken or I put it in a garage sale. Who even knows? Now I need to replace it, but going to replace it, they are so expensive and I would barely use it. And so I'm like, well, maybe I should just put the money towards a second KitchenAid bowl. But anyway, all I'm saying is, is I've had to take the batter out of the KitchenAid bowl, wash it, chill it, because now it's hot from the hot rinse water, (laughs) 
chill it. I mean, it slows me down so much. So this is a great tip. Fabulous tip. Cutting boards. That would be another thing mm-hmm. that you should have multiples of, like multiple plastic ones that are, you know, don't absorb bad stuff. And then mm-hmm. multiple ones that are wood that you just use for fruits, vegetables, bread, that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. From all your years of hospitality and having people into your home, whether it's Sunday dinner or your Christmas party, do you have a story? Anything that has gone wrong or has it always just gone swimmingly? (laughs) (laughs) You're laughing a little too readily. (laughs) There there was uh, a particular grandchild and and one of his little buddies went around and Spent the whole Christmas party blowing out candles. <laughs> and I light, I light a lot of candles like in every room, you know, for the Christmas party. And I couldn't figure out how they were all going out. <laughs> so I caught them at it. And I kept going around and relighting candles. So there was that year. Last year, the kids all decided they would like play hide and seek throughout the party. So that was kind of fun. I didn't mind that too much because I could tell they were having a lot of fun. But probably the funniest thing that's ever happened was also at our Christmas party years ago in California. So I had a very good friend come up to me and she said something like, you would not believe what I just saw happen. And I said, what? And she said, some man just put back a half-eaten gingerbread cookie on the platter. (laughs) (laughs) She she sort of motioned to it, and I looked over, and there it was, half-gnawed away, (laughs) sitting on the serving platter with all the... Oh, dear. I said, who did that? And she said, and she kind of looked around the room, I'm not sure. (laughs) So I grabbed a napkin and kind of whisked it off the platter. But to this day, I have no idea who did that. And it has just been a source of amusement for our family all these years. That (laughs) If you're listening, the friend who did that, just just know that we have laughed about that for a long time. (laughs) They only wanted half a cookie. (laughs) Or they did not like ginger cookies. And their mom had not told them, you can't put it back. (laughs) Those are pretty great stories. (laughs) Well, I hear that you also have a story about your sometimes well-behaved golden retriever, Carson. True. It's very true. So Carson is the third golden that we've rescued. They've all been rescues. And the rescue group, when they received him, they named him Carson. And when we were looking for a rescue, rescue dog, rescue golden specifically, that one caught our eye because we are, at the time our daughter lived at Homestel, and we are huge Downton Abbey fans. And Carson the Butler is my favorite character. Ah. I love Carson. And so uh, he's, if your listeners don't know, Carson is the butler. He's always operates with decorum and honor Everything has to be done perfectly for the sake of the house. You know, there's not a spot on the table when Carson is presiding over it. So anyway, so (laughs) we said, oh, he's named Carson. How, you know, this dog is perfect for us. And so we submitted an application, got approved, got Carson. And he was shipped up to us. And we met him, picked him up in Vermont 
I believe it was the first Saturday in December. And they always say, keep the home environment very calm for your new rescue dog, you know, for a few weeks. Well, the following Saturday was our Christmas party. And I'm not (laughs) disinviting 50 or 60 people because we got a dog, you know. Right. And and so the dog is just going to have to roll with us as a family. And this is how Mm -hmm. we operate. He's going to have to join the party. That's right. So, you know, the party started and everything was going fine. I think we actually kept him on a leash and one of us held him through most of the party. And then towards the end, when the front door wasn't opening and closing quite so often, we we let him off and he was doing really, really well. And we were so pleased. Then near the very end of the party, it had pinned her down to just a few people left. And we were sitting in the family room around the fire and around the Christmas tree. And we were talking and all of a sudden, one someone says, where's the dog? Oh, no, and that's I, never I a good sign. <laughs> I realize I have not seen or heard of the dog for a while now. Uh-huh. And I'm he was like, being very quiet, uh, very yeah, sneaky. Where is he? So I leaned back and peered around the corner into the formal dining room, which is where the serving table is all set up. You know, it's long tablecloth, all the polished silver, the crystal chandelier, all the candles. It's a very mm-hmm. nice, fancy party like environment. Yes. And here's the dog up to his little doggy elbows on the table, <laughs> horking down the gorgonzola right off of the serving platter, just as happy as he could be. Oh, he has good taste. You can't blame him for that. It's true. It's so true. (laughs) No. Oh, my gosh. So, yeah. What a way to end the party. Exactly. (laughs) At least he he did it. He waited until most of the guests were gone. You know, most of the people had had a chance at the Gorgonzola. Now it was his turn. (laughs) It's true. So we say, this is our dog, Carson. Carson, not the butler. I actually think if you if you search the hashtag Carson not the butler on Instagram you'll you'll find pictures of him because we do occasionally <laughs> tag a photo that way. Yes, he's definitely not Carson, Carson the not the butler. I'll have to look that up. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty great. That may be your best story yet. <laughs> it might be. <laughs> and maybe he's grown out of all of that. Have you had him more Christmases past that party? We have had him, yes, for, let's see, we got him, this will be the fifth Christmas party he's been to. Okay, so maybe he's grown up and matured and grown out of his gorgonzola eating days. No, probably (laughs) not. He still loves cheese and he's- You just keep a closer eye. He just watches for that front door to be open so he can escape. Mm -hmm. And so we usually wind up just putting him upstairs and- He's lost his party privileges. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. So cute. (laughs) Well, I can definitely tell your love for creating joyful moments and happy memories. And it's just such a blessing to your friends and family and a blessing to us as well to hear all of your tips. So thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a pleasure. It has been a pleasure for me as well. Until next time. Bye for now.